Part 1. 1. I piss on all the gods. Melasius said and looked at the long line of wagons slowly moving from the Porta Colina at Vicus Longus towards the Quirinal Hill. How did he manage to get back? He said to himself, with clenched teeth, jaw muscles playing on his face. Melasius stood on the roof of one of his houses placed on top of the Viminal Hill. A cold wind tore at his tunic. Next to him stood two other men. They had a good view of the city, with the Sabura on the Roman Forum to the south, Emperor Trajan Forum to the west and Quirinalis to the north. A few other citizens stood on roofs of nearby houses. Most of them were waiting to see the thousands of pigeons that would be released into the sky, which would mark the start of the Latin festival. First, their eyes were fixed southward, towards Forum Trajanum but now all moved and centered on the caravan of wagons. The line of carts was like a long snake that moved through the northern streets of Rome. They saw the pennant, attached to the first wagon, white with a horizontal gladius entwined by a branch with red roses, the symbol of the trading house Optimus Quirinus. Why this waiting? Those copulating pigs of priests should know when the day has reached its midpoint. The pigeons should have been released long ago. Piss on them all, Melasius said impatiently, his voice was harsh. It is not good to use that language. The gods are not to be triffered with, they punish blasphemers. Meras was a dark-haired Greek from Athens with a wide jaw and sharply chiseled facial features. His white toga was of excellent quality and in the red belted dagger with a grip gilded in gold was clearly visible. The problem was that he spoke poor Latin and could not pronounce the letter R. Not good at all. You defy fate my friend. You defy fate, he said again. Meras trading partner. Sophlokos, froze when he heard the younger man's harsh tone, there was a clear undertone of rebellion in it. Sophlokos was a some years older and a conservative man. His hair had begun to turn grey and the belly was clearly visible under a dark blue tunic. He was from Thessalonica in Macedonia. Goods help us, the young fool is destroying our chances, he thought. In the old days Burroughs came from a well-known family of politicians, generals and famous thinkers. Sophlokos had quickly realized that his partner felt that his inheritance made him better than most others. They had begun their collaboration several years earlier and the first trip they made ended in a sizable profit. Large quantities of wine from Macedonia and Asia Minor had changed ownership in Athens. He had had access to wagons and burrows had been the money side of their collaboration. They had bought as much as they could and transported it to Rome. After that long and dangerous journey, we had no trouble selling it, he thought. Our business just continued without any planning or reflections and here we are now, trapped between two giants who hate each other. Let Hades judge Burroughs and his stupidity for believing he can play their game with their rules. Sophlokos was boiling inside but his face showed not a trace of what he felt. Let me tell you. 
Optimus Quirinless will not succeed. Malasius' eyes were dark with hate. He pointed his finger first toward Burroughs then he pointed at Quirinless. He will not succeed, Nesitus, by Jupiter, Nesitus. Malasius spat the words out. Nesitus or not, fate do not matter, all carts now rolling toward the Quirinal will change the balance of power in Rome, Burroughs said and smiled. Nesitus was an abbreviation of Necessitus, who was the goddess of fate. She was playing with people's lives, their successes, setbacks and happiness. Her power was so great that even the other gods respected her. Malasius dark eyes bored into Burroughs. Fate always plays a role, but Nesitus or not, Optimus Quirinless has no future. You can trust me. From where I stand it do not look like Optimus has any problem. He chuckled unconsciously and a quiet gurgling sound came from him. Malasius froze, his hand moving closer to the dagger inside his tunic. Is it me you are making fun of, or are you just happy that you have chosen the right side? Burroughs said nothing, and without blinking he just stared back at the older man. Titus Malasius was forty years old, he was a big man and hard as stone. Most people knew that he was dangerous and had a bad temper. He ruled with absolute power. After he took over his father's house, business and trading had through hard work grown over the last years. Violent battles against gangs in Rome and constant small battles against bandits on the roads outside the city had finally made him Dux Viminlis and had laid the foundation for his success. His clothes were of finest silk and his chins was lean and clean-shaven, as the emperor. His hair was dark, almost black, straight and flattened. For some time, many Romans had started to use some kind of sweet oil in their hair to imitate the emperor's haircut. Sunlight glittered on his head mimicking the surface of black marble. Several rings, adorned with jewels, sat on his seven fingers, he had only two fingers left on his left hand. They lack the hardness the dedication it takes to be the largest trading house in Rome. Me and my men will take over after Optimus is humiliated. Expectatrus. Wait and see. We're all happy a day like this, Sophlokos said annoyed by his younger colleague. We cannot afford to be openly hostile towards Malasius. Not at this point anyway, he thought with a coldness building up inside. This is a day to celebrate. Your Latin festival is just to begin. Is that not true Beres? Beres nodded casually, completely fearless, while his gaze was fixed on Malasius. He had no dagger, but he knew that his youth and smooth muscular body gave him a good chance to defeat the older man if it came to a fight. I'll give you some advice Beres, Malasius said. Do not chuckle too loud when you are in Rome. Especially if you are a stranger. Among many people in the city it can be perceived as disrespectful. Thanks, I'll add that to my memory, but you will get some advice from me, Burroughs said confidently. It's never good to anger the gods. 
Malaxius suppressed his anger. He vowed to crush Burras and Soflocos, the most famous of the eastern trading houses. But first he would humiliate Optimus and his brother, until then he needed the two Macedonians to fully succeed. Malaxius cursed his Nesitus. It had only been luck that made Optimus Quirinless so successful, and most people believed they were soon to be the largest trading house in Rome. Many envied them. The worst thing was that Marcus Optimus had been nicknamed Ux, Supreme Leader, in several provinces and even in Egyptus. Until now the house of Optimus Quirinless had many times been first to reach the provinces and had got the best quality of goods. Often they got gilt-edged contracts with the Senate, but Malasius swore he would change all this. It will happen soon, he thought. He had recently taken help from Rome's most prominent spell magician, who had created an advanced curse board. Malasius had never seen anything like it, it had cost him a fortune. Nesitus had also been the reason he lost his three fingers, twelve years earlier, it was the year Marcus Optimus really had started his own trading. Everything had started at Seleucia, at the large estuary outside Antioch. He had pushed his crew to the extreme, the ships was fully loaded with weapons to the army. Optimus was a few days behind him and would be forced to sell their cargo at an undervalue or venture further up the river to the legions that were at the front. Malaxius had reached the camp first, sold his weapons with great profit and turned back toward Rome as soon as he could. The wind, steady and strong, had come from southeast and it had been perfect. The pirates surprised them all. They had lain in wait in the estuary and with their smaller and faster ships quickly caught up with them. People from Greece called them Tyrians and Egyptians called them Sardis. They were feared throughout the Mare Internum. A brutal battle had started. Several of his men had been killed, beaten to death with wooden clubs or hacked to pieces with swords. His left hand was hit by a violent blow with a club and three of his fingers had been crushed. After hours of fighting, they had finally miraculously gained the upper hand and the pirates had drawn back. Then, after they had secured their ships, he had cut off the mashed fingers with the dagger he still wore in his belt. It was now a memory of the pain that the loss caused. Weeks later in Rome, with only half the crew left, he lost his profit because he had to hire new men and buy new goods at a premium and overcharged prices. Malasius knew he had to do all he could in order not to lose in the fight against Optimus. Optimus had succeeded in avoiding the pirates in his smaller and faster ships. Once again Optimus Nesitus had been strong and the Tyrians could not catch him. Malasius remembered that Optimus had been waiting at Porta Capena, where Viapia met Rome. He casually had leaned against the light brown stone wall without saying anything, but Malasius had seen his superior facial expression, which he never would forget. The thoughts of injustice did not leave Malasius any peace. Marcus Optimus and his divine luck, his Nesitus is unlimited he thought with a bitter taste in his mouth. 
Fortuna has been on his side until now. She has helped him grow and to build his trading house bigger than mine. I piss on his luck, and now he even has insinuated himself among the senators and some of the feces-eating priests. By all gods! Why do he always receive the best contracts? I piss on them and on Optimus Quirinus. During the last years Malasius Vimanlis usually had drawn the short straw. If not Optimus had opened up the Senate for more trade with the legions none of us would have been so lucky and successful. Not even you, Burris said coldly. The problems had begun a few years earlier when the Senate and several senators wanted to monopolize trade with the legions in the provinces for their own gain. Agreements with provincial proconsuls were important to get maximum profits. Contracts with Egyptus and Hispania were highly sought after. War was lucrative and the number of noble patricians, which had not previously dealt with such a low and dirty occupation as trade, had now through intermediaries begun to earn big money. The conflicts had escalated and started an internal war in Rome with losses of men and material. This had threatened the stability in the whole empire. If legionaries were prevented from getting new weapons and materials it would be a devastating gravel in the Roman war machine. Just recently the Senate, in the absence of the Emperor, appointed Publius Longvinius to census magistratum commercia and thus, responsible for the trade. Everything could be sold. Besides weapons they sold olives, dried fish and meat, cereals, salt, fish sauce, olive oil and of course wine. Prepared fine leather and hides were highly appreciated. Many times legionaries traded with objects they came across after a victory, for example, objects made of wood, glass or metal, different textiles or ceramics. These could later be sold in Rome. Sometimes legions needed materials for manufacturing and construction, such as glass, marble, wood, wool, bricks, copper and tin. Finally, there were the highly profitable but dangerous trade in gold, silver, slaves and prostitutes. Reluctantly he told himself, that he was forced to admit it had been the piss-rat Optimus who came up with the idea to appoint a census for the trade with the legions. Through contacts Optimus had got the Senate to vote for the proposal. Malasius suspected Longvinius was somehow linked to Optimus or that the stinking rat knew something census magistratum did not want to become public. The Senate and Longvinius were wise when they followed Optimus' plan and took his advice, Burrus continued. Any one of the leaders of any trading house in Rome understands the importance of controlling trade in the Senate, Malasius responded quickly. His voice gave away his irritation. The irritation grew every time the young man mispronounced a word. With his right hand he rubbed his left hand and in his mind massaged the lost fingers. Strange, but he could sometimes still feel them. Why did Optimus accept that the Senate's appointed man should negotiate with the provinces? Everyone know that the governors and proconsuls never promise anything, and if they promise, they do not keep the promise anyway. Trading houses in Rome should not have been satisfied. 
they should have demanded everything from these stinking sons of whores. Every word should have been written down and signed. Completely idiotic to conclude the negotiations before decretum was clear, completely idiotic. Piss on the Senate. How can we now control the trade with the legions in the provinces, eh? That is one thing you perhaps can tell me. If the plan was so smart. I tell you. Whoever controls trade, controls Rome. Malaysius spat over the edge of the rooftop. He stood near the edge, fearless and confident, his eyes swayed back and forth between Forum Trigenum and the long line of wagons. You still have your contacts in provinces, Titus. Use Tarkas in Silica as an example. Yes, but they have not been so rewarding in the recent time. Visit Longvinius. He is said to have good contacts, Sophlocos interjected. Pi, he only cares about himself, and he does not listen to me. I tell you again. Wait and see what happens when the provinces discovers how they have been exploited. Burrs took out a small bottle of leather, sipped the content and glanced at the big man. The question is how long time will pass before they become aware of it, Malasius, he said after a moment of silence. The provinces will oppose Rome. How will Macedonia and Athens do? How will you do, Burrs? Malaxius face hardened. Macedonia and Asia Minor will not take up arms against Rome, no matter what the other provinces do, the older man said, and tried to hide his discomfort. I know that an open conflict with Rome would be a disaster, it could destroy everything we have built up. Death to the Senate, the generals and the warmongers, they can, with a single stroke of the pen, erase our whole existence. But Rome has the weight of the past years of war in Parthia and Armenia on its back, so sooner or later we will rise up, rise up against oppression and injustice. Returning Macedonia to the greatness that she always should have had. No, there will not be any more wars. Sophlokos said, trying to sound positive. Oh, how he longed to return to Thessalonica, where life was simpler, quieter and where one could enjoy the good life, wine, women and the theatre. When he returned home, he would withdraw, never having to concern himself with scum like Malaxius again, avoid Rome and its uncultured way of living. The Romans are only good at three things, war, to administer and to trade. We in Thessalonica have a nose for the beautiful and cultural. It will feel extremely good to say no to Burrs. Burrs who believe Athens to be the center of the world, more sophisticated and better than everything else. I will never again have to stand face to face with the surreal Marcus Optimus, who not even the gods can subdue, he thought with a shudder. Listen to me, Sophlokos. There will always be war, it is an inevitable part of humans' basic instincts. Wait until spring, when the generals are sniffing for new opportunities to replenish their own coffers. Trade, it is trade that will suffer, not the generals, piss on all the generals. We will only be able to sell goods below cost, 
if we can get anything at all to sell. Last year we lost big shipments twice, large loads with provisions and copper. Hundred thousand denarius were pissed out into the sea. The contract with the Senate gives you the guarantee of compensation. Longvinius has ensured the transports to the legions, Sophlocos said. Malasius' coarse laughter echoed over the rooftops. His eyes darkened again. Do you really think the dirt-eating senators will keep their word? The Senate will not give away a single copper coin. You can forget your money, plan for it, that's my advice. We will all lose. All. Even the stinking Marcus Optimus. He looked up at the sun and grimaced, his white teeth reflected the light. Everyone knew Malasius fanatically rubbed his teeth with urine. As often as he could. The day has clearly passed its first six year and still they had not opened DM Festum Latinus, he thought irritably. Time is running out, as the time will run out for Optimus and his Nesitus. The future is mine. Malasius was happy that one of his sons early on had started to infiltrate of some of the Senate members to ensure their support. While he stood and let his eyes sweep between the Roman Forum and Quirinal Hill he wondered how well his son Tiberius managed to persuade some senators to delay all administration involving Optimus. Soon, very soon, we take over and then I'll see Marcus Optimus scrawl in the dirt. I'm so sure, he thought. Stinking priests. What is causing the delay? Why can't they keep the time? Malasius turned and walked with rapid steps down from the rooftop without saying anything more, he did not even look at Burroughs or Sophlocos. Why can you not keep quiet, Burroughs? You know as well as I do that those two are like putting a cat and a dog in the same sack. He probably is right about the Senate's decretum. Why tease him? Malasius is too confident, I could not just let it pass. If he is right, and the guarantees from the Senate are useless then we all are in big trouble. When they were alone they spoke Greek, which many ordinary Romans did not understand. Now, Burroughs had no problem with the pronunciation. Burroughs' face spoke a clear language, he enjoyed teasing Malasius. What I do not understand is why Optimus seems so calm, he has more to lose if the insurance being nullified. He knows something we do not. Longvinius must deliver on his promise. Be so sure. Slowly Burroughs turned his head, away from the view, and looked Sophlocos straight in the eyes. They cannot have the slightest idea about what we're up to, right? Sophlocos shrugged. It does not matter, really, we are all in trouble if what Malasius says is true. The Roman Senate has become completely mad. In recent past, Burroughs and Sophlocos had managed to sign agreements with both Malasius and Optimus, they had managed to delicately balance between the two rivals. Longvinius had increased the inspections of all Roman transportation of goods. The fees were also increased. Rumors whispered in Rome said that Optimus had suggested this to Longvinius. 
but, in a secret agreement with Optimus they themselves had, on his behalf, but without the Senate's knowledge, bought large loads of dried meat and fish from their contacts. They then transported all the goods in wagons and ships from Asia Minor to Egyptus. Telephonos, which was Sophloko's cousin, and the wealthiest Greek throughout Egyptus, acted as an intermediary for the sale to the legions in Alexandria. On top of all this, the criminal Theos was lurking in the background, he was one of Alexandria's most feared men, with complete control over what was happening in the city. He had taken his name from the last male pharaoh, Ptolemy Philopatotheos, who was a direct descendant of one of Alexander's generals. Roman inspectors needed some little extra to close their eyes at the right time and thus they evaded the Roman administration's long arm. A proportion of this extra always stuck with Theos. Circumventing the Roman fees provided an opportunity and it would be enough for everyone to become wealthy. Perfect, Burroughs thought. It is a perfect plan. If it had not been for the Romans' stinking rules, that a Roman citizen must sign the documents, we could have taken all the profit ourselves. They think they own the world, they are disgusting. His knuckles whitened when he clenched his fists. Burroughs. Sophlokos pointed towards Violongus. First Burrus could not see what his partner tried to show him. Then he saw the wagon that rolled out from Quirinlis towards Trajan's Forum, in the bow the white pennant with the gladius and roses was visible. Burrus focused on the man with the broad shoulders and thick dark hair, powerful and confident, so powerful that not even one of the criminal gangs in the city dared to oppose him openly so powerful that he could get the senate to listen and some of them even bowed to his will. One day someone will defy him, maybe even kill him, he said eventually. Sophlokos snorted. You are wrong, so wrong. No one dares, not even Malasius. That day will come, rest assured. Marcus Optimus Nesitus will end.